favourite memory was actually seeing a pup being born. So my shifts were two hours oh. long. And when I got there, I saw that the cow was like, you know, sort of dilating. So, oh, this is exciting. And then by the end of my shift, a pup had been born. So if you can't, if you can't say that that's not rewarding to see that happen in nature and really exciting, I don't know what is. Welcome to Coffee and Geography, where my guests and I geek out about the world and everything on it, discovering that we are all geographers in some way, shape or form. I'm your host, Kit, and my pronouns are they, them or she, her. So settle down with a brew, hit that subscribe or follow button and enjoy the listen. Hello everybody, welcome to Coffee and Geography and I'm not going to lie, I've been waiting for this conversation, I wouldn't say like days or weeks, I reckon probably years to be honest, uh, honestly. Boreda, uh, Karis Marianne, how are you? Boreda, Kit, how are you? I'm great, thanks, how are you? <laughs> um, okay, I'll tell everybody that when Karis came on the camera like, and we first had our little chat before we started, I almost jumped out of my seat and I was like, Yay! and like Karis did this look on her face that I recognized from knowing her since she was 11 years old like oh my good heavens <laughs> here we go again Some things never change that's what I thought Some things never change. yeah so why is it I'm so giddy talking to Karis right is this because here we go because she is first and foremost a proud Norfolk local okay so that's pretty cool but that's not the, re- the real reason right um, Karis completed her undergraduate at Swansea University, where she was the university's environment officer for the 2020-21 academic year. Um, and Karis has since come home to the fine city. So now I'm a little bit more excited, right, here in Norwich, um, to complete a PhD in environmental microbiology. I'm even more excited now. At the University of Stanglia, I'm epically excited now. Um, and that is geared towards sustainability. And here's the, here's the kick, everybody. Sustainability, a buzzword that became so important to Karis as an 11-year-old kit student that's it i've known you since you've been 11 years of age another <laughs> ex-student has come onto my podcast you you lot are crazy i'm gonna give you like some cloakral name like ex-students who come on a kit's podcast the crazy bunch i don't know what do you reckon i mean oh <laughs> the family <laughs> oh my god <laughs> that, that's not too bad actually the family <laughs> Oh, that's, that's, that's kind of like, uh, it walks the line between cheese and just so, and goodness. There's cheddar, know, there's so much cheddar coming from it's, that. There's <laughs> <laughs> <just> cheddar. <laughs> but yeah, Karis, I mean, it's incredible. So yeah, I've, so I've known you for what, 10, 11 years? 11 years, that'll be oh. this year. <laughs> wow, yeah, yeah, and you're now a, you're on the way to maybe becoming a doctor, all being well, which I, I can't see not happening, to be honest. So yeah, it's... Where to start, really? How how to catch up? So, yeah, tell us a little bit. How does it feel? Okay, let's start with this. How does it feel to be, quote unquote, back home? Oh, it's lovely. I mean, so as you said, um, thank you so much for the introduction. It's lovely. Um, (laughs) I went to Swansea for three years and I sort of felt like I've been adopted a little bit into Welsh culture, like you say, but Borada, good morning. Um, But it's so lovely to be back because it's like I come back and I know where everything is. It's as if nothing's changed because Norwich is one of those places that you could leave for 10 years, come back, and sort of the map you've got in your memory is still valid. You, you know where you're going, you know where all the shops are, you know yeah. the lovely places like Broads, Whitlingham and all that. So 
it's just comfy. It just feels like a nice warm bowl of soup in the middle of winter. <laughs> <laughs> it's a comfort well, blanket. Coleman's mustard soup. No, I don't think that's a little bit pushing it too far. But um, <laughs> I, I, I totally get it because, like, you know, moved out of. I, I mean, I'm still within commuting distance of Norwich, obviously, but, um, but. I don't, it's really weird. Whenever I go into Norwich, whether it's to work at the University of East Anglia or whether it's to go and visit friends or whether it's to go shopping or whatever it is, I feel like I'm going home, mm. you know? Yeah. I don't feel like I'm, you know, a visiting or, a, or a, 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 an internal tourist or anything like that. I honestly feel like I'm going home because I spent amazing time in Norwich, you know, from 2001 when I went to the University of East Anglia until I moved out in 2000 and seven so no 2007 is when we bought our own house <laughs> 2014 of course 2014 so good 13 years in Norwich so it's a very mm. big part of my life yeah, yeah and it's one of those places where you know it may sound quite cringeworthy to some people but if you live here you just get it it's cozy and a lot of people yeah whether it's it's positive or negative a lot of people know a lot of people with Norwich yeah. so you find it really tricky to go in like under the radar in the city <laughs> so <laughs> you very true in, yeah you walk in you're like oh I just want to get a couple of t-shirts or some lunch and you'll bump into like your cousin's uncle's relative you're like oh hi I know you, you used to teach me or something <laughs> so <laughs> it's a very yeah. cozy and safe place and I think that can't really be overstated how important that is um in sort of forging a home yeah you are absolutely you're absolutely right. And me, I'm quite an obvious sticky out person and uh, I can't hide from anyone if I tried. So, you know, just being six foot and everything like that, no other <laughs> reason. Um, but of course, I, you've got kind of like a Welsh background in general. I mean, your name so, Karis, is Welsh. My name, so tell yeah. us a little bit about. So my name obviously is Keris. So <laughs> it means love in Welsh. Uh, so my dad's side quite a way away um, are of Welsh heritage. Um, but I'm actually named Keris after the singer from Catatonia. So <laughs> I did not know that. So I you did are. not so know my that. Mom, my mum insisted on Keris Matthew. She's like, oh, Keris, I like that name. So, yeah, <laughs> she must have been listening to Road Rage like during labour. Oh, I just had that song in my head. <laughs> it's all over the front page. You give me road rage, you, and you can't sing the road rage bit without that roll of the tongue either. Absolutely so, not. And that Welsh yeah. accent was fantastic. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, going back, going back to my days, like of singing in drag on the Year Eleven concert back. In, no, anyway. Okay. Oh, so right, you've got a drink in front of you. We're both grabbing our cups here, and I'm just mm -hmm. going to show Karis my mug because you'll appreciate this one. That was given like to me by by Elise. Um, <laughs> yeah, so Karis knows that. So it's my world's okayest geography teacher mug, and I had to tell Karis who gave it to me because it just makes total sense. Um, someone who's got a witty sense of humor. That um, fits the brand of Elise very well. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Elise. Um, but what are you drinking, Karis? So I've got a slightly nerdier mug. I don't know if you understand the reference of N7. N uh, N7. From Mass Effect, the game series. Oh, right. um, yep. So I've got a mug of tea, but it's not just any old normal tea. It's from Bird and Blend. It's a strawberry Nutella pancakes tea. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I know. So My I don't goodness. think you'll get a guest with a more unique sort of drink. So there you go. I think I've set the bar quite high. So, so, every, so listen, okay, every, I'm having a double take. And so that means people listening will be having a double take. Say that again. <laughs> you, are, you are drinking 
I heard Nutella and shortcake. So it's strawberry and Nutella strawberry. pancakes too. Strawberry and Nutella pancakes. <laughs> yeah, everybody, I, I, I'm writing this down because I have to reference all this stuff, right? And I can't believe I'm writing this. <laughs> strawberry and Nutella pancake. Yeah, that sounds like was... something you would buy at the Waffle House in Norwich, isn't it? Oh, it does. And I'm sure it tastes amazing. But yeah, this one is um, Bird and Blend's uh, Pancake Day tea. So oh, okay. there you go. So is there some theme to it? <laughs> well, okay, people. Uh, yeah, right. I'm going to have to get in contact with them now for a bit of royalties on that. Yes, yeah, I was going to um... say, there are other loose leaf tea brands available. <laughs> <laughs> regular listeners know why, why we why we name drop nowadays um <laughs> sustainability go challenge them um right okay <laughs> brilliant um so we've we've pretty much like talked about your sense of place already um bearing in mind but let's let's just kind of expand on that a little bit more so um okay how am i gonna ask this question when you went to Swansea, which is quite a fair distance away from here, so we stick out mm-hmm. to the east. They kind of sort of stick out to the to the west because mm-hmm. Wales and East Anglia are the sticky out bits, east and west. Mm-hmm. Um, so, did you did you find that when you start to get to know other people and people from other the country, people from Wales, that you started to exhibit, or they told you that you were exhibiting like very Norfolk traits or very like East of England traits and that you brought with you? There's one word in particular, I don't know if you know, but sort of my family are from the Fens area. Um, okay. The word jiffle. Do you know what the word jiffle means, Kit? Uh, oh dear, I'm going to embarrass myself by trying to guess. <laughs> jiffle, uh, is, it, is it what I do? Is like just cl- like ramble on and not really make any sense? Not quite. It's more about, so if you're in bed and you're jiffling about, I mean, you're fidgeting a lot. Um, okay. So okay. this was a word that I used on my first week of uni. And people were like, you what? And I was like, yeah, you're <laughs> jiffling about. You can't sit still. And I'm like, what on earth do you mean shuffling? I was like, no, there's a word called jiffle. And apparently it's a thing like a fens thing because my cousin did it. Uh, she used the word when she first met her now husband, who's from Warrington. And she was like, I'll stop jiffling about, Stu. And he was like, I don't, you're not speaking English. <laughs> so it's sort of like <laughs> those, um, they're not colloquialisms, are they? But they're just random words that we use here that no one else knows the meaning of. <laughs> so it's almost like I had to carry around a dictionary wherever I went of Norfolk <laughs> slang or whatever. <laughs> Yeah, I found it. Jiffle, J-I-F-F-L-E, uh, to move restlessly or to fidget. Okay. There you go. Jiffle. That's the one. <laughs> I, I can't believe I never managed to kind of get... I mean, that would have been so useful as a teacher. Stop jiffing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so and there's a comment here on the Merriam-Webster. Um, Alistair, Alistair Westbrook says, A friend of who suffers back pain st- stated that she jiffles in bed each night as she can't get comfortable. We both live in North Norfolk and she informed me that it's a word in common parlance for being restless. So there you go. Mm, there you are. So yeah. I feel I feel almost justified in using it all those years ago. <laughs> <laughs> and what about um, coming the other way? Do you pick up like have you been picking have you brought back words with you? Absolutely. So um for me it was almost picking up just sort of Welsh really easily. So I spent um a summer working in a cafe in Mumbles, which first of all beautiful view second of all was the most chaotic summer I've ever experienced the, like bank holidays <laughs> on the Welsh coast are just crazy um and the sort of words you'd pick up everything so you'd say like borada 
Um, Diolchenbauer Jaun, so thank you very much. Um, and then sort of words for food. So my favourite one was Sklodion, which is chips, <laughs> which was Sklodion. my favourite. Um, and then sort of, just, you know, little bits and bobs. Like I know it sounds silly, almost like you're hustling all the time if you talk about LinkedIn, but a couple of my friends from uni have gone on to, you know, get jobs and stuff. And on LinkedIn, instead of saying, oh, congratulations, I use the Welsh word now, so it's Plongafadikiadai. So... Wow. That's <laughs> I struggled to say because it has been a while. Um, but yeah, so it's just almost using these little words, these Welsh words that make people feel a bit more cosy. That's how my sort of pals at uni said it made them feel, you know, because everyone speaks English, you're in Wales and there is that Welsh mm. identity that the Welsh are so proud of. And I think the Welsh language, as people saying, is a dying language. I think it's such a shame to frame yeah. it in that way because, you know, there's only some sort of mine towns and villages that are now sort of cut off, which speak Welsh exclusively. It's such a tiny percent of the population. So mm. it's it's a lovely part of Welsh culture, I think, that needs to be preserved because it's such a lovely language. And it's one of those easy ones where... Once you know how to pronounce the letters, it stays the same. Unlike English, uh, it sort of makes more sense. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people say that. They actually say that's um, a lot of people whose English isn't their first language actually say that English is one of the one of the more difficult languages to mm. to, um, to speak. Right? Do you know how to pronounce the very long name? Oh no! Ending go, go, go. That's the only bit I can say. <laughs> yeah. So okay. I think it says something like, oh, the church across the river opposite the train station near Some, the flowers yeah. or something. And it's just so long. But Welsh names do make a lot of sense because they are literally describing where you are, if that makes yeah. sense. So it's like taking the geographical features or um, the buildings that are present and using those as sort of a hallmark of where you are, which I think is a really good idea. Makes total sense, doesn't it? Yeah. So, um so if the, the most common kind of prefix for place names is is the double L, the cl you know, the, so you've got Clenethi yeah. and Clendidno. So um what what does the what does that prefix actually mean then? Is it is it river or is it I think or something like um, that? Um so Tower is river. I thought no, it's is not. River. No, Abba is river. Sorry, that's Abba, my fault. That's it. Yeah, so Abergaveni um, is the Gavini River, yeah. basically, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then you've got Abertawe, which is Swansea in Welsh, so near the river. So the river Tower. Oh, okay. Um, I don't know about Shan. Um, I should, probably should have prepared that because that's quite. A, I'm, quite I'm, a putting, I'm putting one. you in the spot. <laughs> yeah. No, we're learning together. It's typical. Yeah. I'm going back to me all day, learning together. So everyone, we'll look that we'll look that one up, everybody. So what does that prefix the uh, the double L I N? Um, what does that mean? Um, so I've just been looking at some pictures of the area to the south of Swansea and the Mumbles, where you said you were at that cafe. Mm. What a beautiful area. It's lovely. Really? It's absolutely stunning. And I yeah. can already tell what the geology would be like because you've got a lovely bay and then you've got the headland where the Mumbles is partly on. And so you've got a difference in geology there. Or well, we could have a look mm -hmm. at this. So um, when, when you were at that cafe then, was it – I imagine that you spent a bit of time then, Mumbles kind of maybe – wandering around and whatnot it's like was there a particular place or a particular view or a particular kind of experience of that area where you're like oh you know I, I would this I could do this like every day yeah I mean 
minus being rushed off my feet when I was making coffee. Of course, I spent my breaks sat on a bench, which, as you mentioned, is on the headland. um, And it sort of looks towards the west, so towards um, the rest of the bay on the Gower. And when the sun sets, it's almost like you're in the Mediterranean. It's lovely. And sort of I spent a lot of time working loads of shifts in like the June, July, August period. And obviously the days are really long. So you'd finish at nine, but it's still sunny or you see the sunset. And it's so it's idyllic. It's lovely. And like you say, the sort of the geology and being able to see all of the features and it's absolutely beautiful. So I think the the main draw for me to even go to Swansea was there's a beach, I'll sign up. And half of that as well is more like, I like Gavin and Stacey, so let's give this a go. <laughs> <laughs> That's the real reason. Um, but I'd advise, uh, it went well for me, but I wouldn't advise students go to uni based on a TV show. <laughs> it's probably not the best <laughs> way. <laughs> um, no, we don't need any like, Love Actually kind of moments either, to be honest. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> But it's, uh, it looks like a beautiful area. And of course, this is great Like for the geography teachers listening. They'll, they'll remember, I mean, before I taught you, the, the old case study we used to teach at GCSE was about the, and you mentioned it already, about the mines at uh, um, uh, Ebba Vale, for example. Mm. Um, so that was a common case study about how that cult, you know, that, that culture and that, that settlement and that way of life has changed because of the mine and then it's shutting down and then the diversification of industry and all that kind of stuff. But Wales is just so much more than just it's, you know it's that the mining industry or the the farming and stuff like that and it's just so vibrant and you're right about the identity and i just want to give a shout out to uh laurie jones and emma rawling smith at banger university so in the other direction (laughs) the opposite end um because actually emma my friend emma who um is their geography education lead there is learning welsh because she's actually from Mm. england um as she's there and she's been encouraged to learn welsh and everybody at bang university you know they operate in welsh but then they have things that's in secondary they have it in english so when i did a talk for the the trainee teachers at bang university um they first introduced me in welsh and laurie um talked about everything and then said and for kit's benefit (laughs) this is what i said you know basically it was lovely but and then uh, which was really really nice and I loved that I liked that Mm. and I'm so glad that there is some persistence of trying to maintain that you know that because it is so important and you're right about language it just makes things so enriching and you must feel like more enriched and your identity has been so um has been quite boosted by this experience you've had in Wales particularly with the culture and the language I imagine yeah definitely I mean I just draw it on the point you said there about Bangor speaking in Welsh and then for your benefit in English there's um, a really cool thing. I don't know if it's uh, Wales wide, but the Welsh officer at Swansea Uni is put in a thing where you can access free Welsh lessons. So nice. students, if they want to learn Welsh, there is that program um, to go on. I think it, I think it's something like twenty six weeks. So it's six months of Welsh in the evenings or something like that. And I think, like you say, it just it's really lovely to appreciate that there is so much diversity just across the next border. You know, and I'm sure it's exactly the same with um, Scotland as well and the heritage there. You know, there's, yes, we are the British Isles and Great Britain, but there are so many different ways to identify a British person. So someone who's British in Norwich is different to someone who's British in Swansea. And it's just, I think it's a really beautiful thing to appreciate the fact that we've all Mm -hmm. got our little things. Like, for example, 
we eat scones or scones, depend on how you pronounce it, <laughs> in England. In Wales, they have Welsh cakes, which I describe as scones that have been smashed with a hammer. So then I said, <laughs> they're lovely. They're, oh, that's what I miss about scones eating the food. <laughs> scones smashed with a hammer. Yeah. yeah. And my next guest after you is actually um, from Northern Ireland. So I get to have kind of expand oh. on this conversation um, as, well, as well. So it'd be fantastic. So I just, if I could have someone from Scotland, I haven't had anyone from, on from Scotland yet. I might have to just, really? um, I might have to get uh, my old um, colleague from Fram and best friend Clive, uh, Clive Andrews, maths teacher. I need to get, need to get him involved. I think he was at <laughs> Fram before your time. Mm. Um, so yeah, fantastic. And I, I, I think that's a great idea. And I think people listening, if you're, if you're a, an EDI lead, you know, equity, I, I don't say equality, I say equity, equity, diversity and inclusion person. Why not do the same? Like if you are located in a specific part of the world or a specific region or whatever it is, free lessons in the dialect or the language or mm. about the area you're in, what a great idea what a great idea what a great way of, of trying to support these these cultures of course because we i've spoken on the past about how indigenous languages are dying and how there is such you know the people the knowledge keepers because they're getting older and there's the young people aren't coming through to take over um take over that mantle of being a knowledge keeper or knowledge sharer languages are dying out or they're getting di they're diluted and um what a great way to preserve it and for us to respect how other cultures work by learning through their language. And you go to university in, I know, somewhere in the USA on occupied um, indigenous land. Why can't there be some free courses about the culture and the language of that, mm -hmm. of that area? Oh, yeah, I think we're on to something here. We need to get it, get, it, awesome. get it moving, everybody. It's the, I think it's also just increasing the awareness as well because I think it sort of puts geography and history all together, you know, that appreciation. Yeah. <laughs> who has been before and who is coming after, you know, and it's sort of preserving that heritage um, and having that awareness of, you know, you're walking on these lands that were, you know, indigenous tribes were present. And, you know, it's just a beautiful thing, you know, and yeah. I think they need to be acknowledged and preserved, definitely. Yeah, uh, yeah. So history, we 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 concede. You can work with us. You can work with us. Yeah, just this time. <laughs> <laughs> no, history and geography must certainly go hand in hand. That's just one perfect example, right? I want to talk about like so. That's kind of like, sort of like your sort of pastish and your journeyish. And part of your journey is that you've been working on projects, as you've put here. Um, you've been dedicating the last like eight years, and your projects to aim to protect wildlife. And you've put here about. Um, because in the British Isles, you've got like grey seals, wading birds, mm -hmm. freshwater invertebrates, and and freshwater invertebrates so important. And mm. taking school trips up to the Yorkshire Dales and doing pond dipping and and you know kick sampling in in the river by Ingleborough Cave and and Clapham Clapham Beck that was what it was called, all mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. Before I went to university, I decided to take up seal wardening. So that's one thing that you can do on the Norfolk coast. It's at Horsey Gap. Uh, near where the National Trust site is, where the pump is, uh, by the beach there, in between like Waxham Sea Pool and area. Oh, yeah. And what we did was every winter, you go as a seal warden, you get some uh, training on, you know, basic facts about seals, and you're pretty much making sure that people who are wanting to see the seals, whilst it's lovely that they are there, we've got to make sure that they don't interfere with sort of the breeding as well as uh, when pups are feeding. So, of course, 
even the most basic things like if you get in between the pup and the mother that could cause separation and the pup may either go off on a limb or the mum might actually abandon their pup so it's really Mm. important for seal survival and those first few weeks so the breeding season is between October and February usually but you tend to see that you've got seals present until April now and I'm sure that's going to increase the time either side with climate change Mm. Um, but it's such a beautiful thing that we've got that you've got grey seals on our coast that you can go and visit and I think the fact that we've got nature on our doorstep that you see in real things and my favourite memory was actually seeing a pup being born so my shifts were two hours long and when I got there I saw that the cow was like you know sort of dilating so oh this is exciting and then by the end of my shift a pup had been born so if you can't sort of if you can't say that that's not rewarding to see that happen in nature and really exciting I don't know what is um so I did that for two years um and I'm going back to it this winter as well um just because it's so much fun (laughs) really um and it's lovely to talk to people about the environment the ecology etc and the life of seals really because they think how on earth are they out there for such a long time and then they come here to breed and it's like well this is why so it's really nice to sort of spread that knowledge I think which is sort of at the heart of what I want to do going forward it's all well and good research and this amazing technologies or um you know pioneering science but if you can't share that knowledge to make it accessible to the public and beyond what's the point that's (laughs) that's what I always think whenever I do anything I think what's the point to justify it that's love links in quite nicely what we we're just talking about actually about knowledge sharing and and things like that and um so wait you said before you went to university so you must have been doing your you must have been doing your a levels in norwich then mm-hmm. um while yeah. you were doing this so you were 16 17 going on 18 volunteering doing yes. this volunteering stuff yeah so i would have been anything oh gosh 17 18 when i did it um so yeah it was really exciting i was just doing my a levels at surrounded noon in norwich um which was diff- it was probably the most difficult um period of education I've had a levels really didn't stick with me it's when I realized that I'm one of these people that's great at the doing I'm very hands-on with my science and geography and you know what work I do and um it was sort of a turning point when I realized I absolutely have to go down a biology slash environmental route because to just be immersed in this mathsy world just just exclusively in labs wasn't my thing it was very much a, I have to get my elbows a bit greasy and dirty in some soil somewhere um yeah. and put some sun cream on because I can't be indoors for too long um <laughs> so yeah it was very much um a turning point from a levels I'm sorry it's a case of not excelling it was a case of getting the job done and I know that's that may not sound like the right attitude to have but when you're that age, 17, 18, I don't want to sound like, oh, boo me, you know, but it's a difficult time to really take that step up. And whenever people say, oh, the step from GCSE to A-level is harder than A-level to degree level, I absolutely agree because I got to uni and I just, I love the content. I love the work that I was doing. I found it a really comfortable environment and I felt like, and this isn't sort of a comment on school as such. It was just because you had such big classes and I completely mm. understand. But at uni, it was a case of 
you go there. If you don't understand something, you just go to your lecturer and you can sit in their office and have a cup of tea and discuss. Yeah. Um, and so that's the time for me to give my uh, supervisor from undergrad a shout out, uh, Penny Nail, and she's fantastic um, and really was the person who at uni made me realise that research was for me. And it was so empowering to have that female presence that, you know, our um, sector, as it were, is so male dominated and to have yes, the representation yes. of LGBTQ plus and all the spectrum of beautiful identities that we've got, I just loved. And to be sort of flying the flag for mm. not to bang the drum, but the working class female is great. So <laughs> to have Penny there was really a support that I needed to give me that confidence oh. to sort of make that jump. So yeah, there's been a uh, kit from <laughs> year seven to 11 and then Penny sort of took the baton when I was 18. So thank you both <laughs> for getting me here. Wow. So yeah, it's... I can, um, I can tell everybody it was definitely our pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's best. That's amazing. That's really, really good advice. So, you know, and we do have a lot of teachers listening. I'm hoping that their teachers are getting some of their students to listen, or we do have young people listening as well. But that is just some fantastic insight. Um, and that, and and some folks know that my actual day job is actually kind of passing on the messages that you've just said about <laughs> what their experiences are like, you know, moving through education into higher education, whether they think it's for them or for not. And I find that really intriguing, actually, that, that well, I've, I've definitely learned doing this job that I'm doing right now that that even university itself is not you know it there's so many misconceptions about what university is like it's going to be academic 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 it's just an a level is just an extension of GCSE to an extent but then that gets projected into university it's like well if a level is just more intense GCSE then university is just more intense a level and actually mm -hmm. it's not that at all it's so varied so diverse you get to immerse yourself in the kind of things of course you can choose the very academic subject you want but you can do more research based you can do more practical based you can and mm -hmm. that's and you're a prime example of that because i mean not to not to sell yourself short because you were <clears throat> you you were very you are very academic but you're an exceptionally hard worker as well and you're always striving for the best um but you're right and i felt i identify with that as well the fact that you're capable and you know you're talented to an extent but you but you almost forget that even so we might have certain limitations or bits that we may not never get and things like that but we still try and push ourselves too hard to break those barriers which we don't need to because we can find our comfort zone and i'm so so i'm so happy pleased and proud that you've managed to find that comfort zone for you especially knowing you know especially the professional relationship that we had in school that we've both pretty much found our comfort zone in that area and we're thriving and that's just so don't lose hope young people if things aren't going very very well but you still want to say go to university or you still want to do something but you're maybe feeling that imposter syndrome maybe yeah it's there's still it's, keep going there's still something you might there's still something out there for you it's the, the world is more varied and the opportunities are more varied than you think Absolutely. And I'm sort of following on from that, I think it's really important to know that it's it sounds quite brutal, but it's a case of, if you are going through that A-level slump, which I definitely did, um, I'll be honest, I came out with Grace that I don't like sharing, but to be honest, sure. does it really matter? I came out from my undergrad 
with one of not to toot my own but with one of the top grades because the environment was different and it was yes. a case of you know I could work at my own pace I chose the modules that were of interest to me and I've come from that into an environment where I am doing something which I find is making a real difference and for me having that applied side to the science which a lot of people just view me as a biologist but I'm a I'm a geologist a geographer all sorts of things it's such a multidisciplinary approach that you have to have to this because you've got to consider the stakeholders present that I think it I've lost my train of thought <laughs> I think it's really just important to bear in mind that you know where you are at a certain level of qualification whether it's GCSE or A level or degree it's not going to define you you don't have mm. to think oh just because this isn't for me doesn't mean the next thing isn't for me you know so if you want to do degree level study and you don't feel like it's the right time or you don't yeah. feel confident because your A-levels weren't as great, absolutely take the punt if you want to give that a go and it's something you're really passionate about, do it. Because what's the worst that can happen? You realise, oh, I'm not enjoying this as much, but at least mm. you've given it that go. Um, and I feel like a lot of people tend to put the STEM subjects um, and environmental sciences into this box of elitism and it's like you don't have mm. to be the highest performing person who remembers every single answer to every question on an exam it's the way you think and the way you approach certain problems um and tasks so it's very much as we say it may be a soft skill but that critical thinking is so important yes. you yes. could be the smartest person in the world but if you don't have what people term as common sense or that way of critical thinking you can't apply it and what use is that to yourself, what you're doing in the world, if you yeah. can't put that into practice? Perfect. And speaking as someone with, as a, with a working class background of the LGBTQ community um, who didn't have a very good time at school, mm. I completely 100% agree with everything you just said. <laughs> so and look where we are now, folks. <laughs> Hi folks, a chance for you to recharge your brew, but also a polite prod to remind you that it's so easy to support this podcast. Simply liking, sharing, rating and reviewing means that it will get on more people's radar. Also, there are a few links down in the description which may be of mutual benefit. Please do check them out. Okay, we're going to move on to something. Um, I mean, this is fun fun already but we're gonna we're gonna take it to silly fun now right so a bit of barking up the wrong tree um about two stories one of them well I'm, i've done something a bit different this time and I've, i am going back to wales on this right so one of these stories mm -hmm. they're both they're both based on myths but one of them has kind of like a true element to it and the other one i've kind of i've fabricated it by mixing up myths and legends so you've got to guess which one is the truer one and which okay. one is the one i've just fabricated okay so <laughs> you ready so the first here's the first one so here's mm -hmm. the first one this one's this one's called merlin's oak right so mm -hmm. uh Carmarthen is said to be the birthplace of the magical uh, mythical magician merlin who apparently had a thing for climbing a particularly oak tree as a child so fond of uh, was he of this tree that he prophesied when merlin's oak shall tumble down then shall fall Carmarthen town, right? 
basically, you know, like touch my tree and I'm going to be pissed, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so um, the tree stood for tall for many years, but started to rot in the early 19th century. And in 1978, the last fragment of the tree was removed from its original spot. And true to Merlin's word, the town fell victim to the worst flood flooding it had seen in years. Right. Ooh. So that's the first one. So that's the first okay. one. Okay. Um, and the second one. So this one, again, talking about Clomethan. So the flood, the, we know that the, the flooding in Clomethan is, is true, right? That did happen mm-hmm. in 1978. Yeah. But was it Merlin's Oak that was the cause of it? Or was it this one? Was it, um, I can't even pronounce this one. So it's, you're going to have to tell me. So it's, is it Cantre Gwelod? I oh, know, G-W-A-E-L-O-D. How would you pronounce that one? G-W-A, gum. E-L-O-D. E-L-O-D. Gwelod? Okay. And I'm not going to edit that out, everybody. I'm going to own the fact that I had no idea. Right. Okay. So so the flooding in Klamath Town, was it caused by this instead, right? So that wasn't the first time that Klamath Town actually flooded. Um, There was a storm in the year 600, right? Um, And it blew up from the southwest. And the woman in charge of the the sluice gates was too busy being chatted up by the king's uh, power. Um, to close them before huge raves reached the land, and the sea flooded. The sea rushed in, flooded up the river, and flooded the land and the town, drowning uh, the town and sixteen villages. So, was it? Mm. Did Clamuffin Town flood in the nineteen seventy eight, which we know is a true flood because of Merlin's Oak, mm-hmm. or did it flood in the year around six hundred because this person uh, was being chatted up apparently and forgot to close the sluice gates? So what do we think, Karis? I know which one I want it to be. <laughs> <laughs> I know, me too. <laughs> I'm going to go with the one who forgot to close the sluice gates. Let's be chatted up. <laughs> yeah. Um, that is the one where I've combined myths and, and uh... not as accurate. So the, the Merlin's Oak legend is... is, is is well, we don't know whether it's true, of course, because we know Merlin's mm-hmm. a legend, Merlin's a myth. But the story of Merlin's Oak is the true one. Um, mm-hmm. Whether Merlin had anything to do with the flooding of Clamathan Town is another one. Um, the other one, actually, I did change the facts on it, so it is mm-hmm. it is a known myth, um, but I kind of changed a bit because it was actually talking about Cardigan Bay, not Clamathan oh, Town. Oh, okay. So. Um, and but apparently the myth that the sluice gates weren't closed because the busy him chatted by the king's pal <laughs> um, <laughs> is part of the myth. So that the reason why it flooded. So that one we don't know is we don't know how true that one is. But the Merlin's Oak one does get taught. Right. That's very cool. I like that. So it's it's funny because I, I, I had kind of like selected this bark up the wrong tree in advance before we talked. And then before... We went into it. You talked about the merging of history and geography. So there you go. Perfect segue. <laughs> I promise it, we hadn't spoken about we, it. Before. No, we had not planned. No, we had not planned this at all. Right. Okay. <laughs> so we're gonna go. We're, we're gonna go back to you for one more thing before we finish off with uh, we're all geographers. Then so mm-hmm. we're gonna spill the beans and and we're gonna spill the beans with two things actually um, because one of them that you actually put on on your uh, pre. Uh, recording form but the second one is one i know of you is that you're a very sporty person um and one thing 
and I just want to recall a memory for everybody first, and you can take it from here, uh, Karis. Mm-hmm. Is that the one we we had an exceptionally good, an exceptionally good girls football team at the school, uh, which I was the coach for, and everybody you might have heard to the discussion I had with ja- Johanna uh, Benilla Allard um, last season, another ex student of mine, and Johanna was also on the team with Karis on the girls football team. Um, Karis, you were kind of like defensive midfielder defence, weren't you? Kind of sort of, and Ka- and mm-hmm. we already said Johanna was on the right wing. Um, and another person I want to try and get on the podcast is um, Meg Greenacre, little Meg, mm-hmm. who's now a professional chef with her own business. Mm-hmm. So, and, and she does a lot of vegan stuff. So I want to talk to her about that. So Meg, if you're listening, hi, let's come on. I can do another one. So Meg was on the left wing. Um, but Karis, I remember, do you remember that fight we had? Because not me and you, but the fight we had with the school or the, the, the Norfolk FA, because um, you wanted to play, I wanted to play, everyone wanted you to play, but I said, because you were in year eight at the time and the team was under 16s, they said you couldn't because you were too young because they were worried that mm-hmm. you were going to get hurt. And I remember mm-hmm. saying, I'm not worried about Karis. I'm not worried about Karis. If, any, if I'm worried about anybody getting hurt, I'm worried about the opposition. <laughs> <laughs> So, because I knew, because I knew, you were the toughest player on the team, like you would, and you were dishing it out like to people twice your size. So yeah, spill the beans on that, Karis. So, like, do you still dabble in a bit of football or, or well, nowadays? It makes me laugh because you mentioned about um, doing sport. And I was thinking about this yesterday. So when I finished school, I had a massive break from sport. Um, so I absolutely loved. Um, play football, did my rowing and stuff. Rowing, um, yeah. But I sort of focused on my academics because um, I really just enjoyed um, schoolwork. And I think it was sort of a mental health break as well um, mm. to sort of pull myself out. Because as you know, it was such a massive part of my life. Uh, I'd go from school straight to whatever sport I was doing and then I'd go home. And that was it. So I think I sort of spent between leaving school and start my PhD, sort of focusing on how to build, and this sounds really silly, but how to build connections and relationships and friends um, and sort of focusing on obviously the uni work and school work, but also um, enriching the person that I wanted to become, uh, which wasn't sort of linked to that um, sporty identity. But you mentioned sport, which is good because I've started snowboarding again. So that's really oh. fun. Um, so I look really cool going down the plastic slopes <laughs> uh, in my really baggy trousers. <laughs> so, is that the ski slope in trous, is it? Yeah. Trous Mountain. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think the really awesome thing is, is that sport now to me is very much something I can leave at wherever I'm going. Right. So. Yeah. I go to Trails Mountain, I have some fun snowboard, and then I come home, I rest and recuperate. And it's as much as I absolutely loved sport growing up. And, um, yeah, because you were ultra It was a huge part of me. Oh, and this is another thing I was thinking of. I was like, if Kit asked me about words that, you know, like to describe me, competitiveness has gone from like the top word to probably right at the bottom because it's wow. sort of like you, yeah, I sort of look at life and I think, Am I doing my best? Am I having fun? Am I happy, healthy, and safe? Then I'm fine. Hey, <laughs> so I'm clapping my hands, almost... everybody. Yeah. <laughs> I think, and I don't want to again toot my own horn, but I feel like I'm a much kinder, nicer person to people who are in my life as well. So it's almost Aww. like a 
you know you don't see people's achievements or mark them as what they've done or what they're doing or how many zeros are on their bank balance it's all about if you're a kind person that treats me and others with respect and you know you've got that about you that's that's how I hallmark a great person so yeah anything extra is a bonus but I must concede I was tough as old boots growing up (laughs) you were you were and I remember when we had the um we had that friendly with against the, against the uh, against the boys, mm. and like they're, they're, even they were like, "Oh, we don't know if we should do this." And it was like, and I can't remember. I think we drew. We yeah, that's right. We we, we were drawing yeah. with them to all at half time, and they were like, "Actually, these girls are tougher than we think." I was like, "Yes, yes, yeah." You know, don't you? <laughs> in fact, I remember. I can't remember who it was who was managing the boys' team, but they had to like bring on like all their first teamers, and I was like, <laughs> and I was like let's just give some other people who are just just a run around and so like their first team there's only them stuck two past like the 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 ones that were just like there just for a laugh so i'm like mm. you're not gonna think girls can't play football ever again can you and i know i think you played the whole match in that one i can't remember but um but i think yeah. it's such an awesome thing as well because it's like you championed representation throughout my school career as it were and it's so lovely to you know because obviously it's a big thing now in you know lgbtq plus uh, representation female representation Mm. and i feel like you were there where there is a teacher and it was so lovely to see that someone who is a role model to students championed that because a lot of the teachers if we remember from sport were like oh no we can't have girls on the team it's not really (sighs) and it was like a geography teacher wants this team I mean they're prepared to do it let's do it you know like so it was really lovely to see that you wanted to champion those opportunities for it just seems so alien to me I know it just baffles me and like that's why I then started you know having running the department with students because I was like why wouldn't you run the department with students they're the ones who are being taught every single day that they should have a say and like when and then the school was like this is a great idea kit but you've got to be cautious of this that and you know I was like I'm like but but why these are artificial barriers there's there's nothing mm. and it was like the best having having like and another shout out to Elise who was a member of the geography leadership team who really kept me on my toes and wouldn't oh <laughs> good grief so that's but, not yeah. a surprise <laughs> no so uh so the other part to spill the beans um before we run out of time is your love for stand-up comedy mm. um so you mentioned well well gavin stacy's not stand-up but it is comedy but yeah have you with stand-up comedy then is it like a kind of thing that you will go and sit you will like take your time to go and see someone at a stand-up comedy would go to a club or stuff like that yeah i mean so like, like i say i'm very much a of working class background but my um family and I would go to Edinburgh Fringe Festival which obviously isn't very working class but I, I stuck out <laughs> like a sore thumb <laughs> you can hear me like in the background talking to my mum people like where is she from um Ew. and we'd visit every other year uh, before <laughs> Covid um and it was just great because I just, I just love sitting back and hearing people's interpretations of the world around us and you know that sort of observational comedy I sort of I love sitting back and yeah I like that too. absorbing really um I took my mum to go and see Rob Beckett last month uh, for her birthday uh, in Lowestoft we just sat there and it's almost like as a comedian Rob Beckett sort of has very similar uh, background of 
my family. So it was always just sitting here thinking, my granddad used to say that, or my mum's exactly the same. Why do that? So it's sort of, you know, sitting there and just letting go because you can't really focus on any of, of your worries, whether it's at work or at school or whatever. And you're just immersed in it. And it's just lovely. Yeah. But also, especially like Edinburgh Fringe, it's such a cool environment. Like I say, I may stick out like a sore thumb, but I do really enjoy it. Um, just absolute carnage. <laughs> it's yeah. a lovely city as well. Yeah, and uh, there's the one one of my favourite stand-up comedians who's performed at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, I think it was 2016 or 2017, um, is Rosie Jones. And oh, I love Rosie Jones. <laughs> she, she's, just, she's just fantastic because she, you know, she's being lesbian, being disabled. Mm. She has a lot of material that, that she can, and it, from her lived experiences that she draws from, and she's done so so much to raise the profile, you know, of of both the LGBTQ and and the disabled community. Because mm. and she's fierce, like, mm. and and people are trying to knock her down, but she she comes back at them with the comedy. And she, you know, she's controversial, but but what I love about Rosie Jones is that she can own that controversy because of who she is. And that's what I love yeah. about things like stand up comedy is that you get people from certain communities who are then taking it and looking at it for a comedic sense, making people laugh, but also making people think. Um, Absolutely. Then that's brilliant. Uh, and so, yeah, Rose Jones, one of my favourites. Yeah, I think that's a really important thing as well, sort of, because it is really funny and you're sat there absorbing it, but it does make you think. Like, there are some comedians that make those jokes which are very much on that threshold and it's like, mm. okay, we're going to reel it back now, but we think, you know, what those implications of some comedians. So I'm obviously not... Um, a huge fan of all comedians. There's just some things no, which yeah, yeah. it shouldn't be said or are offensive, and it's just not funny. Um, but I think it does make you question the way you approach things because, like for example, people like Rosie Jones who have those barriers. Um, it's acknowledging that I don't want to use the word privilege too much, but there mm. are those things in life where it's like, oh. I can actually go and do X, Y, Z without thinking if there are any ramps at all or, um, you know, disabled access present, you know, and I don't experience those um, sense of being excluded based on my sexuality or how I present myself. So it does, whilst it is great as a release and a stress reliever, it's fantastic and it's fun. It does also make you appreciate Mm. and acknowledge the presence of other people with identities. If we can change the world through laughter, that wouldn't wouldn't the world be such a better place as well? That'd be the yeah. ideal. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right there, Karis. So, I, uh, I oh, why do we have to close it to the end? Right. Well, everybody, I know you've been enjoying the, listening to this conversation. I'm sure you have been. At least um, now that Karis is back in Norwich and I'm back at the UEA, at least we can meet up for a coffee and whatnot. So stuff. But. Let's close off the podcast chat before we talk about logistics and and, uh, catching up. Um, We are all geographers, so linking all of our guests together. So last week, we um, heard from the wonderful Lin Ho, who was an ex-colleague of mine um, who works in energy meteorology and doing her PhD as well. Um, who's from, and she's from uh, from Vietnam. So we talked a lot about identity as well, uh, which mm-hmm. was perfect because the guest before, um, Louis Viss, um, a geography teacher, gave her the word identity. And so she really ran with that. Now, oh, wow. what Lynn did for you, Karis, was that she looked out of the window 
of her apartment and she wants to give you word the word hay so h-a-y so something right something rather tangible than than something nuanced so karis you have got 30 seconds to talk about hay in (laughs) uh, whether you like and it could be okay. geographical or it could be, it could be, it doesn't matter. It could be a childhood memory to, to do with hay. Mm-hmm. Just don't, just to, just for my benefit and everybody else's benefit, don't, don't talk about hay fever because otherwise I'll start sneezing. <laughs> I'm a sufferer of hay fever too, so don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> well, well you, you could, you could make a hay fever link and how that's geographically related, I suppose. Right. Okay. So when you're ready, let me know and I will start your 30 yeah. seconds. All right, then. So, hay. You usually find hay on farms. So, hay bales, this is the time we sort of use hay for agricultural reasons. I think you use it for pigsties to keep it nice and cosy for the pigs. But also, hay, we've mentioned hay fever. I suffer from hay fever. Hay fever's horrible. You can get hay fever from tree pollen or grass pollen. At different times of year, different pollen prevails. Pollen is really important for pollinators and bees and the world will end if you don't have pollinators. Preserve oh, pollinators. <laughs> yes. Yeah. No, that's perfect. So that I did mention hay fever, sorry. Oh, the, yeah, and and to be more seriousness, you know, and, and there's there's studies regarding um how uh, people with allergies like ourselves may suffer more because of climate change and it's how it's changing you know all of that kind of processes and so i'm not really looking forward to that but no i've always found that always not always recently found that um over the last few years my hay fever window has increased so that's great (laughs) actually i think that's kind of yeah anecdotally i'm i'm sure Mm. that's been the case as well um Yes, so <laughs> I have this really weird proxy link, right, everybody, because it's actually really nice and sunny now and my nose is kicking off. And I don't know whether my nose is kicking off because feeling very tingly, jif- jiffly, jiffly. Jiffly. <laughs> jiffly nose. Um, I don't know whether whether it's because, you know, springs around the corner, everything like that, or the sun. The sun is one that I'm one of those people where it gets sunny and then the no- and my, my nose goes tingly. But I sneeze um, whenever it's sunny. Sorry, go on. <laughs> I just oh, say, that's not but- just me. I associate my sneezing with how much my solar panels are working. <laughs> so, so I'm just showing everybody to say to carries my solar setup with. So I've I got three point, three point six kilowatts of solar energy at the moment. Ooh. Some of it's going into my car, but my nose is tingling as well. So every time my nose tingles, everybody, I know my car is getting charged. How freaking bizarre is that? Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so, Swings Karis. and roundabouts, Kit. <laughs> Swings, uh, oh, right. <laughs> What word would you like to give to the next guest? Stapler. You just looked down at your desk and you just went stapler. Is that, is that it? Um, well, I actually looked up at some cards and I was like, I can't say card. Well, actually, I think card might be better. Okay. Stapler or card? Do you want me to toss a coin or are we going to go with card? Do a coin toss and then if I'm disappointed, oh, we'll go with the no. other one. Um. Coin toss, coin toss, coin toss. I tell you, I got a di- I got a die here, right? Because my, uh-huh. my 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 floor is plastered with kid detritus. I just point my camera down so carry can see. All the- <laughs> right. Um, right, here we go. So let's say odd odd number. Which okay, we we'll go odd number stapler or okay. staple. Actually, staples a better word. Staple, and if it's an even, it's card. Right. Here's here's a dice, buddy. Right, six. So it's card. Card. Okay, then. 
Okay, the first ever roll of a die on the Coffee and Geography podcast. There we go. <laughs> right. So you've meant you've given a few shout outs already. We can quite a few shout outs to you know, Penny mm. and, and some people you used to go to school with. Any other shout outs you'd like to give? Um, well, based on how pleasant my experience of my PhD has been thus far, I'd like to give a shout out to my supervisors who have been great. Uh, so just to Laura, Colin and Marcella, I've got a lovely little team behind me. Um, and also the lab, they've been very kind and understanding um, of well, just a combination of me being really enthusiastic and they're like oh that will that will go eventually Keris it's like no I will not let jaded <laughs> academics get to me yet um but no those three in particular is great yeah I mean it's really lovely to have people who you know see something in someone when they don't sort of see it themselves yet and I can sort of understand yeah. where they're coming from they're like oh six months down the line already it's like actually I am piecing the puzzle together and drawing those links and making more sense out of what I'm doing as silly as that sounds no it's <laughs> not yes. silly at all but the imposter syndrome is real so I think um you mentioned it earlier about you know students at school going to university imposter syndrome is not one of those things you can get rid of but it's one of those things you can sort of acknowledge and work through and be like yes it does exist however let's have a reality check let's do some grounding with that so yeah. i think that's something really important to be aware yeah. of as well but yeah, just those who have you got any more shout outs kim <laughs> <laughs> oh I, I do shout outs all the time social media how can people get in contact or linkedin how can people get in contact with you if they think and they will that this sounds like an amazing person i'd love to connect with her <laughs> i can find her um, well, I'm on Twitter, so I've got my professional Twitter account. Uh, mm -hmm. It's it's just Keris Marion, so capital C E R Y S M A R Y A N on Twitter, where you can find me geeking out about stuff I've done in the lab. Uh, the other day, I got a calibration curve of one, uh, which I, I geeked out about, and I was like, "There, I've completed the PhD. You can be <laughs> yeah. the doctor now." Uh, <laughs> Um, and we're planning on doing some really exciting stuff. So I've done some work already that I'm hoping to present in Switzerland in August. Um, so wow. watch this space for photos of that. I'm sure I'll geek out about that too. So if you are interested, then give us a take, follow. Take snowball with you, Switzerland. Take yeah. snowball with you. <laughs> right, Karis. Oh, this has been so delightful on a uh, on a what, what is everybody a Thursday morning um, with the sun. My nose may be tingling and I may be a bit jiffly, but I've really really enjoyed the chat. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and as I've already said, we will we will uh, chat about um, having a uh, an actual coffee or should I say um, a strawberry and Nutella um, pancake tea together. <laughs> that sounds lovely. Thank you so much for having me. It's been awesome. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. We hope you had fun. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe so more stories and experiences can drop into your favourite podcast app. If you fancy being a guest or have any feedback, follow us on Twitter at CoffeeJogPod and send us a DM. Or you could email coffeeandjog at geogramblings.com. Until next time, keep jogging.